Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And Matt, without Polly today, celebration time. We skipped him out. He's on his way on the road. No other way to get to Miami than to drive. Leaving uh, after yesterday's show, and Polly is southbound and down. We may play uh, everyone's favorite game show, Where in the World is Polly Sibilia, later in the program. Good to have you along with us on uh, the last day of the last live show before the Orange and Miami meet on Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Tomorrow's show will be a best of again. We've had more best ofs than we've had quality content or actual decent shows. But tomorrow will be a game preview. Joe Sagaki, it will uh, immediately re-rack him. That's a television term. We'll re-rack his interview and uh, have that on tomorrow's show in case you miss it today. And uh, tomorrow we'll, I'm sure, include our visit with Pete Thamel from earlier in the week, etc. Joe Zagaki, our University of Miami counterpart, the play-by-play voice of Hurricanes football and basketball, will be with us in just a bit. Going to have to start off with him, I guess, on not so much football, but uh, maybe his perspective locally on what's going on with Miami hoops. Jim Laranega has been uh, subpoenaed to uh, ha- hand over his correspondence uh, related to this uh, college basketball, quote, scandal, you have to call it, with uh, Louisville going down and Adidas making payments and all kinds of crazy, messy stuff. Looks like a local boy, Greg Paulus. We're proud of him. Uh, out of coaching this year. He got married and lost his job in the same week this summer. That's an an eventful couple of days because uh, Thad Mata, his boss at Ohio State, uh, came to an agreement to part ways with the Buckeyes, and so that left Greg and all of the uh, OSU assistants out of work, uh, kind of without a a great deal of notice. And it looks like Greg, although I don't think it's been confirmed yet, is apparently headed to uh, join David Padgett's staff at Louisville, which is probably just a one-year thing, but they need some help. They need good guys who can put their head down and work and make the players better over the course of the season that don't necessarily uh, have to have a long-term commitment. And so Greg, uh, between jobs uh, for a year anyway, will uh, head to Louisville, it appears. We'll uh, look for some confirmation of that. So, Joe Zagaki coming up, and then Ian Eagle of CBS. Ian's uh, tremendous, and we can talk to him about a lot of different things, and certainly uh, always like to hear from the Syracuse alums that are out in the broadcasting biz on not only what they're doing, but when you have big games like the Clemson win in the Dome the other night, that's when those people come out and they lift their head up from whatever else it is that they're doing in their own regular daily or weekly grind to uh, share their comments on what they see uh, of the program from afar. So we'll uh, touch with Ian on that before getting an update on uh, what he might have happening in the NFL and now the NBA season underway as well. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do that at any time, 437-7644 or 4ESPN44, area code 315. Feel free to fire away anytime, any day, and we'll see if we can work in on the show. Last night, two 
great baseball games as the League Championship Series continue. We'll start first in the National League where the Cubs stave off elimination. Good uh, baseball word there, or uh, sports word, stave off. You don't hear that in many other contexts, but they staved away with two runs in the second inning, and the pitching uh, held up from there. Wind blowing out last night. The home run by Wilson Contreras was an absolute bomb. Javier Baez had two home runs for the Cubs, and the Dodgers got two. Justin Turner's home run was really launched as well. It was a great game. Joe Madden got ejected during that game for what seemed to be a very well-justified argument. Curtis Granderson appeared to have struck out on a pitch in the dirt. Played umpire Jim Wolf said, hey, that's a strikeout. The noise you may have heard was the ball hitting the ground, not the bat. Dodgers are considering a video review. It's not a reviewable play. The umpires then get together, and I think the umpire coming in from third says, what do you got? Which is usually, that's how the umpires are going to start any conversation. They want to know what the guy who made the original call had and saw. And so they get into it, and it is yada, 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 overturned, called a foul ball by an umpire that had to have been at minimum 100 feet away from the play, uh, allowing Curtis Granderson another pitch. As it turns out, he was struck out on a nasty slider on the next pitch, and uh, that's all it really cost the Cubs was one more pitch. But in the argument about it, Joe Madden got ejected. He obviously got exceptionally hot and was uh, shown the door in a playoff game, which uh, – Take some guts to do, but Joe Madden is a different kind of guy. Had it been really just about any result other than a one-more-pitch strikeout, that could have been a serious black eye for the umpires at uh, Wrigley Field last night. Fortunate it turned out that way. That series continues now three games to one. So the Cubs, who had to battle back to win the World Series and everything else, still alive in that one, although the Dodgers are clearly in great shape to make the World Series for the first time since 1988 which would make for a great World Series if it does turn out to be Dodgers-Yankees. But how could it be Yankees? They were dead and buried. Then they rallied to win Game 4. And then last night in Game 5, got a couple of early runs in the second and third innings. Two more in the fifth. Masahiro Tanaka-san was absolutely fantastic. We've kind of joked this year that uh, we went on the road, some baseball trips with the boss. We saw Tanaka in person a couple of times this year, and he was absolutely uh, inept. He couldn't get anybody out, gave up one home run after another, was clearly not himself, and uh, boy, did he turn it on at the second part of the year. So here's our friend John Sterling, as heard last night on TK99, closing it out as the Yankees win. It'll be a 1-0 to the right-hand hitting Bregman. And the pitch is swung on, hit in the air to center. Hicks coming in, makes the catch. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Oh, the New York Yankees get off the deck. They lose the first two games in Houston, 2-1 and 2-1. And they come back to New York and win three in a row, including that sensational comeback win last night. And tonight, behind Tanaka and two innings from Tommy Canely, they shut out Houston 5 nothing. 
Tommy Canley from uh, Latham, New York, Shaker High School, same high school as our Brian Higgins. So uh, good to see Canley raising the flag for the uh, fighting purple pirates or whatever they are. It, it is something unique. I forgot what it was. Maybe Brian can chime in on that at some point. But uh, Tommy Canley with uh, two strong innings there. That means the Yankees won a game in which uh, Aroldis Chapman didn't have to pitch. And Tanaka was just filthy against a very good Houston lineup. Kept the ball beneath the knees and uh, went seven innings, allowing just three hits, one walk. He struck out eight. Canely, two innings, one hit, and uh, no runs, of course. So well, well pitch game, for the most part a well-played game. The Yankees beat Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel is a, a University of Arkansas product. I went on a radio show this morning in Little Rock, and the topic before I came on was that it was a poor start for the native son, Dallas Keuchel. So uh, Yankees don't beat him. In fact, had barely scored on him ever before, and uh, that's sports, baby. Now in a 3-2 Yankees series lead, home team has won every game in that series, and we'll see if the Yankees can win on the road. Of course, you can hear the games on uh, TK99 from the Yankees calling in most cases on uh, this station, ESPN Radio 97.7, for the national call. The uh, next game is 8 o'clock Friday night, and then, if necessary, another 8 o'clock game on Saturday night. As for this evening's programming, the uh, Dodgers and Cubs play at 8. You will not be able to hear that game here on ESPN Radio because we are replaying the rematch of the – or not the rematch, but replaying the Clemson win – from uh, Friday night, one of the most uh, historic Syracuse football games ever, their biggest win in uh, many, many years. And uh, now another opportunity this week as they go on the road against uh, number 8 Miami. I'd like to have just a quick moratorium, if I can, on the phrase Syracuse, or for that matter, any school hasn't beaten back-to-back top 10 teams. Who has? That, that's, that does not happen on a regular basis. First of all, you don't play them uh, all that often. You don't play them in consecutive weeks very often, and chances are you're not going to win a lot of those games. Now, there's probably been an SEC team that's done that somewhere here of late because they tend to have a lot of teams in the top 10. Maybe Alabama has, but I don't think it's any real shame. The Yanks haven't beat it, or the uh, Yanks. The Orange have not beaten a lot of ranked teams in general lately. That's maybe a bit more to the point, but to beat back-to-back top 10 teams would certainly be an unthinkable accomplishment. It would take this season to a whole new level. When we come back, we'll visit with Joe Zagaki, WQAM's play-by-play announcer for the University of Miami football and basketball. That's as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Hummel's Office Plus and Dunn Tire are proud supporters of Syracuse football coverage on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Sunday, the Giants are at MetLife against the Seahawks. Pre-game at 325. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com and Burdick Ford. Headed tonight to the best places to work. Dinner over at uh, Drumlin's, including CH Insurance number one honoree last year and back in the mix 
again this year. Looking forward to that. We're also looking forward to visiting with Joe Zagaki on Saturday as the uh, Orange play at Miami. First time since uh, 2003 that the programs have hooked up. And Joe joins us now. Good to see you, Joe. And uh, what's going on, my man? Hi, Matt. How are you today? I'm good. Looking forward to the, the trip. the weather clears up. We, uh, we're going to have uh, – we've had good weather all week, but Saturday we might have a – might have a chance of rain on Saturday. That's what I hear, and it was quite the yeah. downpour for part of the uh, Georgia Tech game too. Watching uh, some of the film on that, but what? What? Uh, how stormy is it in the, over in that basketball office? Let's touch on that quickly before we get into football. But uh, looks like Coach Larinaga, who uh, we all uh, really in, enjoy his company around the the conference, uh, getting pretty sticky there right now. Well, I guess we have to wait and see where the investigation goes, and uh, you know, at this point. Uh, nothing has been uh, official, and uh, um, really there have been some fingers pointed. Miami coach Larinaga says that uh, his program has done nothing wrong. He's turned over all of his records, his phone records and uh, recruiting records and every other thing imaginable. So uh, I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. But he is, uh, you've been around him, I've been around him to me. Uh, of all the coaches I've been with, through the years, uh, probably one of the guys that has the most integrity of any person I've been around. Yeah. So it would be shocking to me if something went wrong with his basketball program. Well, I agree with you in terms of uh, the, the way we've been exposed to him as a guy and a leader and uh, hope that that all shakes out uh, in a cl- as clean a way as, as it possibly can. And as we, we've talked about, I think we're closer to the beginning than the end on uh, some of that basketball stuff. Anyway, the uh, purpose of having you on was to uh, get up to speed on Miami football because it's been so long and you know the, the conference is so big that some of these uh, teams you don't see on a regular basis. And so uh, while this is a, a rivalry from back in the days of the Big East uh, and uh, we're all looking forward to it, cannot claim that uh, we've crossed paths with Miami football in a while. First meeting since uh, 2003, and Miami has uh, been down and back up in that time, and uh, maybe we can get the Reader's Digest version of the this last stretch here, Joe, where uh, what a fit Mark Richt has been now in his uh, second year, and, and uh, winning right away. Winning is pretty much all he's ever done. Yeah, I think he, to me, he's a lot like uh, Jim Laranega. You know, you could put him anywhere, he's going to win. So now he's won 10 in a row here with the University of Miami, uh, going back to last year, their last loss was at Notre Dame last November. And he just knows how to run a program. He knows how to call a game, much like uh, Coach Larinaga. And I think for his players, he always seems to have the right answer, uh, whatever is thrown his way. And, and why not? He, he coached at Georgia for a long time. I'm not sure that there's anything in the ACC that they can throw at him that he hasn't seen. He's got a very good coaching staff. And I think really – for Miami football, uh, under his direction, it's only the, the tip of the iceberg. I think they're kind of winning in a uh, um, uh, they're, they're not winning in a physical way. He wants them to be a more of a, a dominant physical team. I don't think they're quite at that point, but right now they're winning games, close games. Uh, they're finding ways to win. I think he's doing a good job of putting his teams in in the best position to win. One of his quotes this week, uh, Joe, was something to the effect of. You know, yeah, we're winning, but we're not showing up and dominating people. And and I think that can be taken two ways. One, uh, we're not walking over and, and beating people by three touchdowns every week. But I think for this purpose, he specifically meant it. We're not physically imposing uh, our will on people. And um, it, it seems like he knows. He obviously knows how to win in the long term, and, and it's like he's trying to 
uh, trend the program in that direction where uh, certainly he and Miami uh, are able to recruit, and, and now he's really out there shopping for what's going to be a, a sustainable future for the Hurricanes. Well, I think at this point, so far, uh, Brian McKinney hasn't walked through the door, and Ray Lewis hasn't walked through the door, and uh, Frank Gore hasn't walked through the door, and Warren Sapp hasn't walked through the door just yet. Uh, they've got some guys that are starting to look a little bit like it, but we're, we're not all the way there at this point. So I think they're more of a finesse team. You have Malik Rozier, the quarterback, kind of running a lot of RPOs, which would be something that uh, Coach Rick has incorporated into his own play calling. He really hasn't had that or didn't have that as part of his repertoire at Georgia, more of an eye formation, uh, will just slam you in the mouth and run the ball down your throat with a 225-pound running back. Uh, we don't quite have that at the University of Miami, but they do have good players on the perimeter. He's been able to utilize that. They have built up their front seven. I don't think the front seven is where it was in 2001. I guess, I guess to me the easiest way to judge any Miami team is just say, okay, what do they look like compared to the last championship team? Sure. And we're, we're not quite there, but uh, they are building a style a play, especially on defense, that is more representative of what Miami used to be. Well, you've been around there so long, Joe, uh, going back to those great uh, championship teams. Uh, the, the idea that they did show up and, you know, we, we've always heard the, the idea of the 4-3 FU was the defense. You know, we have better players. We're lining up. We're not going to trick you. And, uh, and, and look, we're, we're just we're just going to steamroll people. And, and uh, Miami, when it was good, was as good as anybody's ever been in, uh, in college football. Joe Zagacki of WQAM is our guest. And right now, you, you just said good players on the perimeter. The talent is deep enough to be able to uh, kind of work through some of these injuries that I think bear uh, repeating and updating. Mark Walton uh, out for the season after rushing for 1,100 yards last year and getting off to a solid start this season. And then, boom, here's Travis Homer, the next guy in. He's averaging eight and a half yards a carry. Yeah, that's the good news, Matt. But, you know, in the old days for the University of Miami, if, uh, you know, if the backfield would be uh, Frank Gore, Willis McGahee, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe Edron James sure. in there, James Jackson. If one went down, another guy was uh, stepping in of the same caliber. There was a definite pro. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, part of that's college football. You have the attrition, which I think has hurt Miami as much as anybody with guys leaving early. If you go all the way back to the 2000s, the beginning of the 2000s, when Miami started their slide, I just don't think the program was ready for the amount of attrition that occurred with all the juniors leaving early. They just could not uh, fill the gaps of the guys leaving early with the same quality players. So now, uh, a couple of years ago, the backfield probably should have been Duke Johnson, Mark Walton, Joe Yearby. Duke Johnson left early. So then you had Mark Walton, Joe Yearby. Now Joe Yearby decides he's going to leave early. Gus Edwards decides, well, I'm not going to play. So he yeah. transfers. So now we're down to Mark Walton, Travis Homer, and Trayon Gray. And Trayon was a, a, a high school quarterback. I think he's had 33 carries in his career as a redshirt junior. And so I think that's why Miami is not – at the elite level they used to be. Homer stepped in last week and was terrific. Hopefully not a one-game wonder, showed toughness, showed speed, but quite frankly, behind Travis Homer, we have no idea what is in the backfield. Yeah, you can see the the drop-off there. Uh, Parenthetically, Gus Edwards, I understand, had some interest in Syracuse. He wound up at Rutgers and is uh, playing there now as a transfer. The injuries are kind of dotted through right now, which I think – Two things, 
you know, mitigate this. You know, people say about Miami, well, uh, gee, they're five and zero, but they've had a couple close games. I would say, well, look at it. First of all, they won they won ten in a row. They have no apologies for that. Second, th- with with the hurricane and the injuries and whatever, who cares? You know, you win win by one and find a way to do it. And uh, pulled one out of the fire last week in Atlanta. But maybe uh, Joe, we can just kind of spin through it here quickly. Uh, what's the the latest there at, at right guard where uh, Miami has been starting a true freshman? It's 350 pounds in uh, Navon Donaldson. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a great player. He's listed as questionable. He uh, injured his ankle against Florida State two weeks ago. So he's listed as questionable. Uh, Mahoney came in there and played last week. They did start a freshman, Corey Gaynor. But midway through the game, they, I don't think they were real happy with him. So then they went with a, a redshirt uh, sophomore, redshirt sophomore and uh, Hayden Mahoney. Who went in there and played pretty good. I, I would suspect that Mahoney will get the start. I think the biggest news for Miami is going to be that Amon Richards should be back, and you know he's their All-American freshman, All-American wide receiver. Came out of high school as an All-American last year at 934 yards receiving, uh, almost 20 yards of reception, and really was unstoppable uh, in the games against uh, Duke and and Florida State for the most part. So I would suspect that he'll be back in the starting lineup. Uh, Delaney at corner will not play in this mm-hmm. game, so. Uh, obviously, with Syracuse uh, and their wideouts, uh, you need as many corners as you can have, so that's going to hurt uh, the University of Miami. Other than that, they should be good to go across the board. Joe Zagaki uh, oh, is Mike with Pickney. the yep. – Pickney is listed. He's not on the injury report, chest. but he hasn't really practiced that much this week. What type of play was that, Joe? Uh, listed as a chest injury, and I, I saw he was held out of practice yesterday. Yeah, so uh, maybe game-time decision, you know yeah. how they are with these injuries, yep. but – uh, that certainly would be a big factor. Pickney's a hell of a player uh, as a sophomore linebacker who would be replaced by Darian Owens. Uh, now, some of that might be mitigated by uh, the way Syracuse plays. You probably don't have three linebackers on the field a whole lot, but Pickney is a really, really good player, one of the elite linebackers in the country. Well, if most teams had to play three true freshman linebackers, they would be uh, in real big trouble, and it uh, looks like Miami can make that a strength because they got through last year – with it, got to a bowl. They're unbeaten this year under the direction of uh, Manny Diaz with three now sophomore linebackers, and I'm sure everybody's licking their chops at potentially three junior linebackers next year. Well, you know, these three guys have played together for a long, well, not for a long time, but uh, just about every down uh, freshman and sophomore year, uh, I would expect that probably two of them will leave after their junior year. I actually think McLeod, uh, the guy that I think will stay through all four years, has the most upside. He's probably the most athletic of them. 6'2", 230 pounds, does not get as much attention as Quarterman and Pickney. But I think he might be a better better athlete than the other two guys. Uh, the other two, though, play with great instincts and are very hard hitters. And uh, Both Quarterman and McLeod will be important for Miami in this game, uh, keeping an eye on the quarterback, Dungey, and then Darian Owens, who is a redshirt junior. I think he'll be a capable uh, fill-in for Pickney if Pickney can't play. A lot of good stuff there, uh, Joe. Looking forward to it. It's It's been so long since we've uh, been to Miami. And uh, actually, this school year, we get a bunch of trips to Miami. Football, basketball, and then a separate trip down there for hoops. So uh, try to keep the rain away, but uh, beggars can't be choosers. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it should be okay. You haven't been down here since uh, 2003, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, so that's uh, uh, Tyrone Moss was the University of Miami running back at the time. The Hurricanes had a quarterback change in that game. They went from Brock Berlin to Derek Crudup and uh, eked out a seven-point win against the Orange. 
Yeah, and uh, there's been some lopsided in either way, but uh, great series over time, and uh, looking to it'll be rekindled, and then we'll see again, you know, six or eight years after that. Unfortunately, <laughs> probably right, Matt. Probably that, that's right. That's the way it goes. All right, buddy. Uh, call if okay. you need anything, and we'll uh, see you on Saturday. All right, very good. Thanks a lot. All right, Joe Zagaki, the uh, affable play-by-play voice of the University of Miami sports at the U, and uh, giving us a quick update on uh, what's going on there uh, with the Canes and certainly a significant number of injuries. They have a safety who's been out uh, with a concussion and uh, is uh, listed right now as probable to return after missing the Georgia Tech game, one that they rescued with a last-minute drive and a last-second play. More to come as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. The word stun and shock and surprise you have to use very carefully these days because just when you think nothing can stun you, it'll come along and do that. But it, we're so desensitized to shock and awe and things of that nature these days in sports that rarely am I truly stunned. There are three things about that game that fit that description. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM, and 1440 AM. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. Nike is looking into a wardrobe malfunction. Officials with the clothing giant want to know why LeBron James's jersey split down the middle Tuesday night. King James's jersey was torn after Celtics guard Jalen Brown grabbed at it. Nike is the official uniform supplier of the NBA. They pay about $1 billion for a deal that's eight years long. That was not a good look at all. First night of uh, NBA action. And is it the first year at Nike? If it's not, it's close because they had been uh, with Adidas for a long time. Yeah. And uh, who's more Nike if it's uh, other than Michael Jordan? Who's more Nike or I guess Tiger Woods? LeBron James. And uh, of all jerseys to be split down the middle and then you got Darren Ravel uh, making a big deal of it. Um, not good. And so I'm sure uh, it also probably could have been fixed pretty quickly, right? At the next dead yeah. ball, they probably have 16 more uh, LeBron James jerseys there ready to go, but uh, I'm sure they'll get to the bottom of it there. A little duct tape could have yeah, fixed it. I would hope it was not a quality control issue. <laughs> uh, the Mets offering $18 million to buy the Syracuse Chiefs. Each share would, do, uh, would be worth about $1,400. Chiefs GM Jason Smorrell says the offer is good for the shareholders. The Mets have agreed to operate in the Salt City through the year 2025. Yeah, he's right. I mean, and Jason obviously is invested in trying to get this purchase to go through because it means... Uh, the team is on solid footing for the next uh, few years at least. That's on the high end of what I thought. I mean, when, when this first came into the news two, three weeks ago and talking about the value of the Chiefs, my first ballpark, if you'd said, you know, you tried to show up on that day to buy it, I would have said 15 was the, you know, starting bid, uh, 18 maybe on the high end, and, and that's what they're going to get. That's pretty good, you know, for those shareholders. Now you got to, if you are a shareholder, you have to identify yourself and, and figure out uh, some pretty complicated accounting there i would think i'm sure there's plenty of shareholders who got one or two shares as a birthday president in 1964 or something and uh have long forgotten about it and then there's obviously some people that have many many shares and they're going to do all right through this and a new survey says about 75 percent of flying insects have disappeared 
In the last 25 years, although the data was gathered in Germany, it is leading scientists to warn of global implications and of, quote, an ecological Armageddon. Yeah, I have a lot more questions that are way geekier than we really want to get into here on the show. Because I'm saying, is that 75, that means three of every four species or three of every four bugs? Are you trying to tell me there used to be four times as many flying insects as we have now i guess and uh i'm sure and my father would be able to explain it much better why there's you know some reason that we need to have all these species and all the food chain and and all of that kind of thing but uh a world with fewer bugs is a better world as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i would agree with that and of course do we care is brought to you by cam's pizzeria cam's love at first slice so can i share a little inside baseball your last name is salzone yes which rhymes with calzone calzone and you've never had a calzone? Never in my life. And then last night you had what for the first time? I had lobster for the first time. <laughs> That's so incredible. In my 30s, I'm starting to live a little bit. It's incredible. <laughs> first of all, I, I don't know if this is the time of year to eat lobster, but lobster's never going to do you wrong unless it's from the wrong place. But um, you got to fix both of those. <laughs> More lobster. More lobster. Main lobster in the summer. Yeah. And work in a calzone once in a while. Maybe we'll even have show calzones. And maybe our friends at Camp's Pizzeria can maybe make that happen. I would try one on the air. Okay. I'll do it. That's a bit. That's a show. <laughs> it's a bye week next week. Cam's, if you're listening. We could use, you know, some filler, a little content. I'm all for calzone tasting on the air. Maybe do like a, you know, a sausage, a pepperoni, and a yeah. mystery calzone where we've got to figure it out. Or maybe we come up with our own. I've also never had a stromboli, so I'll try that too. That's like a stuffed pizza situation. Yeah. It's all good. It's all more or less the same thing. Hmm. All uh, put together in different combinations. So we will make that happen. Joe. Right. We'll get Whether Cam's is a participant or not, we will get you a calzone. I'm on board with this. On the air. All right. The great Iron Eagle of CBS soon to join us. That's next as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The home of the Giants. Play fake. Manning pops it. Throws it over the middle. Completes it. Underneath. Odell Beckham Jr. racing into the end zone for the touchdown. He turned on the Jets on the slant. Giants football is brought to you by Burdick Lexus. Third and goal from three. Manning out of the gun. Takes the snap. He's back to throw. He has time. Throws it to the end zone. Touchdown, Giants. The home of the Giants. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Coming off an upset of Mighty Clemson. It does not get easier this Saturday for the Orange. They head to Miami to face the Hurricane. Pre-game at 1.30, kickoff at 3.30. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. What do you think, Joe? You want to give Polly a call? You want to try it? We'll see where Polly is on the road here in the final minute of the show. Polly, for those of you who don't know, and I assume most of you actually do, uh, Polly does not fly. He is a uh, perpetual driver. He is driving to Miami. He left after yesterday's show. He's probably going to ignore our call, and he knows that this is the last minute of the show. So uh, probably isn't going to work out. But uh, maybe that could be a scintillating part of tomorrow's rerun portion of the program with all the interviews, et cetera. And now we only have 30 seconds left in the show. So I don't know. So here we go. We're going to try to pop it up. 30 seconds left, Polly. Where in the world is Polly Sibilia? It's very funny. I'm at south of the border right now at the gift shop. Oh, I thought that was the taco place in Pittsburgh. <laughs> no, south of the border the between North Carolina and South Carolina. Okay, 10 seconds. What's your ETA tomorrow? Uh, 3 o'clock. What's the whole total drive? 20. Wow. See you, buddy. See you.
Paulie Sibilia, ESPN Radio, Syracuse.